Hey everyone, welcome back to another CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey CJ Wesley. Topic of the night is, so you've decided to be a consultant. Look, times are strange and situations changing. People have been unexpectedly on the market. Other people have finally got enough confidence and accumulated knowledge to say, I want some of that consultant game. So Corey and I have been at this for a while and we thought that we'd... Uh, distribute some of our wisdom on the congregation. <laughs> so Duke, I think this is a, a great and relevant topic for conversation right now because of a lot of things you just said. A lot of folks are finding themselves in between employment right now. Um, they're also figuring out that the skill set that they've developed in service now might have some value on the independent market. Mm-hmm. And maybe now that they have a little bit of time on their hands, it's time to explore that and see what can be done. Yeah, so we've got a list of things to consider. Uh, hopefully up your game before you're in the game, or if you're in the game already, uh, maybe things to propel your game. So we're going to lead off with the difference between a contractor and a consultant. A lot of folks think contractor, or consultant, interchangeable. You both work for a client and it's essentially the same type of a relationship. You couldn't be more wrong. The main difference when I think about a contractor versus a consultant, so contractor does what's asked of them. Mm-hmm. You come into a situation and your employer says, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and they hand you requirements. And you sit down at your desk, you bust out the laptop, and you start working on X, Y, and Z. A consultant, on the other hand, comes into the office and their stakeholder says, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And a consultant says, why do we need to do X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Can you give me a bigger picture? What are we trying to accomplish? Give me more information so I can help you. Yep. I'm here because you assume that I come in with expertise that you don't have. So help me help you actually get some value out of this engagement for the rate that you're paying me because you're typically paying me something well north of what you'd be paying a full-time employee. So let's make sure this engagement is valuable for both of us. That's right. Just ask yourself, do you want to be somebody who just gets called in to fill the slot? Do you want to be the person who gets called in because we need serious advice now? So the contractor is, and listen, I don't want to put any shame on people that do contracting, right? But if you want to be at the top of the game, you got to think like a consultant. And this could be somebody who never touches a keyboard the whole time they're there. Absolutely. Who, it's, it's a brain trust. It's the person who's going to separate the, the good ideas from the bad. And let's make no mistake here. There's a ton of bad ideas in our space that get implemented all the time. And so it's the consultant that's going to die on the hill. They're going to say, no, this is not what you should do. I'm going to die on this hill. The contractor's like, yep. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that comes to mind when I start thinking about this paradigm is the concept of value and expertise. Mm -hmm. How can I create value for the client and how can I use my expertise to the most beneficial way When folks approach a project, especially in our space, right, an IT-related space, typically programming, you start thinking about how can I code my way out of this? I got these programming skills. I've worked a long time on developing them. You know, client wants incident management. Great. Let's get to work. Let me start Mm -hmm. writing business rules. You know, it's really not about the code. Yes, if you have to write code, that code should be good code. But if you don't have to write the code, don't write the code. Not all problems need to be solved with code. Some problems can be exposed and solved before you even get to the platform. Your first instinct might be, they've described a situation to me, I can code it. But just remember, there have been more bad ideas that have been coded than there have been good (laughs) ideas that have been coded. 
when we talk about code problems versus value problems, take a step back and just look at the problem. Later decide if you're going to apply code or not. Or even, we know we're going to apply code. What kind of code are we going to deploy? And I'll just go with a quick example here. I once had a client who a major stakeholder said, we are dealing with far too many reassignments. My tickets bounce to three or four people before it gets resolved. I'm sick of it. You guys have to fix it. And so everybody like ran around with their arms flailing. Oh my God, we got to recalibrate the category tree. Sorry, the fucking category tree. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or... We need to have groups that are affiliated with categories on the category tree. And you know what? ServiceNow has got this AI thing. Maybe we should put AI down so it guesses the right group based off the category tree. And it sucked. But what I said is, hey, is this really a problem? Quantify me the problem. How bad is this? And nobody knew because we had one stakeholder complaining about it. So I was like, listen, the solutions that you're seeking aren't bad solutions, but at least quantify the problem. So we knew we were going to code. So what we coded was a performance analytics dashboard with indicators that articulated how bad the reassignment problem was. And it turned out it wasn't so bad, but they have that in their back pocket so that when the pain gets good, they can pick any one of those code solutions and see if it moves the needle. Your job is not about the technology. Don't confuse the skills that you have with the job that you're there to do. Your job is to create value for your client. Your story was about how you created that value for the client by looking at the problem in a different way. Sure, you use performance analytics to do it, but it was all about whether or not there was even a problem to start with. Yep. And just reframing the question to get the client to see you saved them tens of thousands of dollars in labor. And for those of you who are unsure, some people think, oh, well, my customer's not really hiring me to advise them on that. Almost every job rec out there is talking about, give me a dev slash architect. And if you want to know more right. about that, we're right back to episode one, where we talk about the slash dilemma at length. Yeah. Where I want to take it next is Corey and I started a long time ago. I started at a time where literally, if you knew ServiceNow existed, that was your key to the kingdom. <laughs> and the market has a lot more people in it. And a lot more people come in every single day. So let's deal with reality for a bit here. You want to be a player in the game. You got to learn how to stand out. Amen. Amen. What I would suggest right off the bat is to niche down in a tech or a process or both. You do not have the time like Corey and I did to go super wide on the platform. You just don't. Plus Corey and I came up when ITSM was the only play in town. And now we've got half a dozen processes. We've got just stupid amounts of tech. You could not know anything about any process anywhere and still get by being the dude who's the top tier on virtual agent, right? Exactly. Or being the dude yeah. who's the top tier on service portal. So figure out whether you like the tech the most or the processes the most and niche down in one or the other. You got room to pick up ITSM plus one or two others in a year. But the key is if you want to be a player in the game, get super ridiculously expert in one thing first. Get to the top of the pile in one thing, then start eyeballing other piles. I think there are enough customers out here using ServiceNow that no matter what vertical you pick, you won't have a lot of trouble finding an opportunity if you have that expertise. 
That's right. Things are a whole lot different now. The ecosystem is starting to mature. And with that comes an abundance uh, of companies needing your skill set. So your resume is going to look a whole lot better if you can say, I am an expert in X and company A is looking for X. It's a good fit. If you're a player in the game already, you know that the opportunities are still being thrown at you. So don't try and be like, I do everything service now. First of all, BS, you don't. But second of all, like get to the work that you want to do. Now, let's assume that you get your niche, right? You figure out what your niche is. You're putting your time in in the trenches. You're coming up in the game. Now, what you want to do to stand out is participate in the ServiceNow community, social media, Twitter, the SNDev Slack channel, YouTube, mailing lists, whatever you got to do. Now that you've got that niche expertise, start shouting to the world your opinions, your experience, the things that you did were wrong. Start projecting that into the world. I'm a special case because I've been doing a lot of that for a long time, but I've got not a word of lie here. I've won three year-long jobs based off of just the accolades I have accumulated from community, knowledge, social media, etc. Exactly. And I was just going to say, there's not a better person to be talking about this than you, right? Uh, come on, man. <laughs> There's some. Other- I mean, it's true, dude. I mean, outside of people who get paid by ServiceNow to do ServiceNow on social media, you're probably the most recognizable name out there. So when you talk about a person who can guide you or whose advice you should really take to heart, you're number one on the list when it comes to building community, building social media presence, building following, you know, building a marketable presence on all the platforms so that you get noticed. And don't worry about like, oh man, I'm giving up my secret sauce. No, 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 no. What happens is you give away your knowledge and then everybody says, oh, that guy is the whatever guy. If you're the virtual agent guy and you're just like, here's how you do awesome virtual agents. Here's five mistakes that you can run into doing whatever. When people recognize you for that, they bring you opportunities. Right. You know, how many times, Corey, have you had, you know, like Nathan or whatever, he's doing service portal stuff and his customer says, hey, you know anybody who's good with PA? And then they're like, you know, he's like, I'm going to call Robert or, you know, anybody who's orchestration? I'm going to call Corey. Like, that's the way the ecosystem works. There is far more opportunity being amplified and cycled around than there is people saying, ah, I have your secret sauce. I can be you now. Exactly. I mean, look, it's been said over and over again. Maybe you've never heard it. But ideas are nothing. Execution is everything. No matter how many ideas you put out there in the ecosystem, nobody's going to feel about those ideas like you do. So you're in a prime position to execute on those. So put your knowledge out there. Put your opinions out there. Be vocal, be a presence and be available. Yeah. And then people will knock on your door. If you want an example of this, it's not me because I've been at this for 12 years. So I have a head start. But man, check out this guy, Dhruv Gupta. I'll put a link in the description for his profile. But man, this guy came out of nowhere. He's been doing service now for months. Right. And he's already getting draws of like hundreds of people coming to his webinars in India. It's insane. But the guy is basically just like every single little tidbit he learns, he's pushing it out in his social media. And he's the rising star to watch, man. Like, Yeah, look. he's learned some really cool stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's no question he's hyper intelligent, but his social star has risen because whatever he learns, he just he feeds it right back into the ecosystem. And so exactly. in a fraction of the time it took me to build my meager social media empire and service now, Driv is like catching up to me. <laughs> so it's possible. Do it.
And I'm telling you, as somebody who's been there, done that, it will pay off. It will pay off. Yeah, I absolutely totally agree with you on that. To kind of round this one out, the thing that I'd say that is absolutely necessary too is to do the things that don't scale. I really wish I could take credit for that quote. It was Paul Graham who actually said it, one of the founders of Y Combinator. But you know what it really means is to do the things that you can't code, that you can't do sitting in a dark room, you know, staring at your computer screen, fingers to the keyboard actually trying to do some automation or integration or write thousands of lines of code where you're not interacting with people. All mm-hmm. that stuff is great. Everybody can do that. But there comes a time when you get dropped into a conference room and you've got to interact with people. And at that point, it's time to start doing the things that other people can't do or other people won't do and other people are reluctant to do. So you want to be in there giving your expertise. You want to be in there and you want to ensure that you're not being silent when a conversation is happening. When you're invited to a meeting, you're not invited there to hold a seat down. You're invited there to be an expert. So give your opinion. Let your client know whether or not they're going down the right path or the wrong path. Be the person in the room who is the expert, who can counsel and who can say whatever it is, right? Like who's offering the advice. One of the things that I like to talk about is air cover. In the military, you've got the air cover that comes in and lays down that suppressing fire so that your infantry can move about without getting blown up. It's a very similar idea here when you're a consultant in a conference room or in a meeting with your stakeholders and you have your primary champion. And typically you guys have been communicating back and forth pretty often. One of the things that you want to do is ensure that when you're in a meeting that's relevant to a topic that you guys have discussed and you've agreed that this is a best practice, that you give that expert advice to the people above your champion so that your champion has the room to make that change. Yep. Because as an expert, your opinion is automatically respected, but as an employee, that person's opinion might not be. Yep. But if you come in and you provide that expert opinion, you give your champion room to maneuver and you give that champion's bosses a room to accept your opinion and therefore their opinion. Right. And that's one of the main things that you can do as a consultant. Use your expertise to further the project and further your champion. The way um, I like to think of it is be prepared to be your champion's champion. Um, I ooh, think- good one. You know what I mean? A contractor will sit passively and let their champion do all the talking, advocate the best ideas when they're in the trench war of the boardroom, like how right. employee service now, what's the decision going to be? The contractor sits and waits for their champion to contend with objections, contend with other ideas, decide, and then bring back to the contractor. The consultant steps in, provides the air cover for the champion and says, listen, I know everybody's worried about X. In my experience, the best way to get X is to fill in the blanks, right? But Exactly. Air cover means that you are prepared to walk into a room and lead your champion, not have your champion have to lead you. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want the champion to be the person to lay down the suppressing fire mm-hmm. so that your opinions can get heard, so that your expertise shines. Yeah. Your that's expertise... never going to happen. It's never going right. to happen. <laughs> because that's why they hired you. Yeah. <laughs> If you're not talking, it's relying on your champion. And your champion hired you to provide that best practice, the best ideas and whatnot. But there's two roles, the air cover and the 
The Meat Shield. <laughs> so you can tell I played a lot of role-playing games when I grew up. So the Meat Shield is the person that's like stage two to the air cover, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say we went in and I, and I laid down great air cover and my champion made this really great pitch, right? And I backed him up, you know, with the air cover and the management team agreed, right? And we went in and we did it. And we got, say, 70 or 80% of the way there, but not 100%. So now we're back in the boardroom and we're talking this over. Mm -hmm. And so the arrows come out and the swords are getting sharpened. What do I do? I jump in front of the champion. I'm the meat shield. So I'm going to jump in front of my champion and I'm going to take all the blows. I'm going to talk about how what we did was great. We could have done it a little bit better. We've already had postmortems. We know how we're going to mitigate them next time. I'm going to give a great speech and make everybody feel good about failing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to protect my champion. Yeah. Right. I tell all my champions, I'm disposable. That's why you hire me. And exactly. I'm disposable <laughs> in two ways. Either it's, wow, thanks for all that hard work, Robert. We're done now. But I'm also disposable in the sense that we need to advocate the best ideas, but not everybody's on board for the best ideas. Right. And Absolutely. if this ship's going to go down, I'm going to be the captain of that ship. This ship went down because of me, not because of my champion. And so my idea was the most offensive, not my champion. Exactly. Right? So that's the meat shield to the champion is just- yeah, I led them astray. <laughs> they didn't make this choice. I pulled them with me. And again, this is the difference between the max and the players. The max step in <laughs> and they fear no fire. They will be in the trench and they will shield their stakeholder. If you're just a, a pawn on the chessboard, then what you're doing is just saying, okay, you tell me what to do when you're ready. But that doesn't get the Mac rates. So that, right. that gets <laughs> just getting buy rates. So again, if you, exactly. if you want to be at the top of the game, you have to be fearless. You have to get in front of your stakeholder and providing air cover by being the bold voice of best practice of the way things should be done. But in being the air cover, you're also being the meat shield in terms of if it all goes downhill and nobody likes that idea or it offends them or they're just not ready to progress that far, then you take the heat. Exactly. You're the guy that takes the arrow to the back. We use these terms and whatever, but in all my years of doing this, I've never had a bad outcome there. Right. Yeah, me, neither have I. I've had some fights for sure, but sometimes that's just what's needed to manifest the best solution. Yeah, let's talk about fights. There's a term called how to gracefully degrade, where when you have a functionality and then something happens, instead of that functionality dying right there and you can't proceed any further, you can fall back to a more reduced functionality that still allows you to progress. Yeah. So when you're in a meeting with a client and that meeting starts to go a little sideways and you want to disagree with your client and you tell them that they're wrong, sometimes you can't just say you're wrong. So you you got to be tactful. You got to be able to tell the client that they're wrong and make it think that it's their idea that they're wrong, <laughs> right? Like they figured it out. <laughs> Whew, I'm glad you, know? you told me that you were wrong. <laughs> I mean, I was wrong. Sorry. <laughs> because you, you still want them to listen to you at the end of the day, and you still want them to respect you, and you still want to be invited to those spaces, right? So you can't do that by insulting and saying that you just don't know what you're talking about. But you can do that by saying no in a gracefully degraded way. Yeah. It's the way I look at it. Okay, let's talk about long, long, long-term air cover. If you follow me on my YouTube channel, this is not going to surprise you at all. 
And I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you want to see at the table, if you want to be a player in the game, right? If you want to be a Mac in the ServiceNow consulting world, this is some secret sauce right here because fucking nobody's doing it. Document the living supreme shit out of everything. Write everything down. Write everything down, okay? And get real comfortable with building exquisite handoff documents to your customers. Now, this is where everybody else in the game, everybody who hates you, I love you. This is why I'm telling you the hard news. Everybody will tell you documentation is a waste of time. It's too much, right? The customer should explicitly ask for it. No, if you document everything, if you have a great exquisite handoff process, guess what you get to do every single upgrade? You get to call that client back. This is like sales 101. Every excuse you have to call a customer is almost as good as money. There's money and then there's an excuse to call your customers back. That's the way the world works. So if you can document everything, like I had this ITBM job that I did and I spent 5% of the scope documenting as I was going. And it's been four versions later. And every time a new version comes up, I'm like, hey, here's some stuff that you might want to look at. Because I remember what you guys struggled with. Or I remember stuff that wasn't built, right? Like time card days. Prior right. to New York, that wasn't a thing. That was just, oh, screw you if you want to bill every 30 days, right? Oh, man, I remember those conversations <laughs> there. <laughs> right? And so we built a custom solution. But then as soon as New York rolled around, I'm like, whoa, guys, 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 guys. Okay, now the product is ready. Now you can go out of box for the thing that you need. And it's either, gosh, that guy's awesome. Or, hey, we're too busy. Can you come in and fix that for us? And so everybody looks at documentation as this chore. No, it's an opportunity. And it's loading up a magazine of opportunity bullets that you can fire all the time, every single version. (laughs) And You know, it's funny how you mentioned that too, because one of those opportunities gives you a guaranteed work, right? They're calling you in. The other one probably gives you a referral. I'll tell you straight up. If you don't do the documentation thing, Partners think that this is okay. And then they wonder why they've got to fight uphill and go through Herculean tasks of trying to find new customers. Yeah. Because the old ones who can't figure out what the fuck happened on their services engagement aren't calling them back and aren't answering when the sales reps are saying, hey, yo, what's going on lately? How can we help? None of your damn business. Yeah. (laughs) We did a thing in our lap that we don't know how the heck to use, how the heck to engage. We're getting all these collision errors thanks to Upgrade Center in Paris. You can't help anymore. You've helped enough. You've helped enough. You know when your mom says that, right? When you're really screwed up? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she, she calls you by your three names all yeah, full yeah. names <laughs> no that's not a good thing she's not complimenting you at all okay. exactly because she know what the hell she named you right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so listen i'll say it again and you'll thank me later if you actually do this document everything give your customers an exquisite handoff experience come back to that in a year and thank me later Yeah, I cannot agree with this more. Turning over good handover documentation and beyond, not just the standard, oh, here's a one pager that shows the modules that I might have looked at Mm cross-eyed, right? I'm talking deep documentation with links to the business rules and explanations of the variables, building it out and putting it in front of my customer so that whoever it is, because if I'm leaving, they probably have somebody on staff. 
yeah. that person probably doesn't have my skill level because they called me anyway, but that person will probably have to maintain the solution. Can I go off script for a second? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, that's a great consultant versus contractor thing. A consultant is trying their best to never get called again in a good right. way, right? I did all this work. I gave you the best advice. Here's an exquisite handoff document. Guys, best of luck. I love you. Right. Go, go conquer the world. And then when the customer, the slightest bit of anxiety they have about the next thing, who do you think they're going to call back? The person who left them high or dry or the person who loved them and provided them what they needed to survive on their own? That's a really great point. That's a really great point. The best way to get a call back is to do everything you can not to get a call back. Right. You know everything I know. I've done everything I could to get you self-sufficient. Those right. people will call you back in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yeah. I still have customers. That I, like, I have just call me when you need me customers. They still call me. Yeah. Because what is your customer buying when they hire you? They're buying expertise and they're buying value. That's what they're looking for. Yep. They're looking for you to come in and be an expert and build that solution or advise them on building that solution that's going to carry them forward. And then they're looking for more out of you than what they paid you. To me, that's the that's the very distillation mm -hmm. of value. When I can return to my customer more than what they actually paid me, whatever the value is, you call it monetary, you can call it, you know, some other abstract, whatever it is, right? If they paid me a hundred bucks, I want them to walk away feeling like they have 300 bucks in their pocket. That's right. Right. Yep. Because I helped them achieve that. It all comes full circle. Okay. The last concept we want to introduce is this idea of win before you begin. To do this, you basically need to know what levers contribute to success the most. And we just covered one of those levers. Really good handoff experiences is one of those levers that guarantees success. Okay. But this is one of those times where I'm actually going to endorse a specific product and feature. I know that winning means that my processes measure their outcomes. Processes okay. unnatural. Nobody likes doing them. The only reason we pour that energy in to make people do a process is so that we can get unified outcomes. So we should be reporting on those outcomes. That means performance analytics or connecting up to a BI tool, whatever it takes, but report on the outcomes of the processes. To put this into perspective, I had one of my call me when you need me customers. They had a vendor that completely shit the bed and a lot of the stakeholders were rare and mad and my champion was at risk. So knowing what levers move the world, I went in with my performance analytics knowledge, presented a presentation. Look, it doesn't matter how bad it is. The question is, can you tell the direction it's going? And let's move it in the right direction. And then this line will tell us if we're doing better or not. Hallelujah, performance analytics. I was being the meat shield and the air cover. And because I knew that performance analytics could get us to a point where it doesn't matter how bad it is, does not matter. We can measure it and figure out if we're getting better. If we're not getting better, we change our strategy. If we're getting better, great, let's move on to the next thing. And in one conversation, in a months long implementation, we turned it around. That's because I understood how to win before I begin. Exactly. In this case, you came in knowing what the customer needed and how to pull those levers to give them what they needed in the situation where they were antagonistic and adversarial. And that's a key when you're a consultant, because you're often going to meet customers who hired you, but are still a little adversarial to your advice. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you have to know how to defuse those customers and how to be able to manipulate that situation into a situation where they're getting the value and they're able to win while maintaining your ability to stay employed. And, and you want to protect your champion as well. So sometimes you've done everything that you can do to make something go successful and things just happen. But life is things happening and how you react to them. So making sure that you can win before you begin is judging those reactions before the situation happens so you know how to react once you're actually in it, right? right? Planning for the unexpected so that you're not caught off guard. Yeah. And I'll be way more specific. Whatever you choose to do in the space, also do performance analytics. (laughs) (laughs) This broadcast brought to you by performance analytics. (laughs) No, but I agree. Performance analytics is a great tool and it really does give you that extra insight that you can't get out of um, out of the box reporting. So whenever you do have a chance to use it, I definitely suggest it because it it can be the difference between illustrating a process that doesn't work Mm -hmm. and showing how the process doesn't work and how to actually fix it. So. All right. Remember the points. There's a difference between contractors and consultants. Figure out which one you want to be. Learn how to stand out, niching down in a tech or a process and participating in community and social media. Focus on doing the things that don't scale. Learn the art of being air cover and meat shields for your champions. Figure out the difference between code problems and value problems. Document everything and learn to win before you begin. And that's episode... What episode are we at? Third? <laughs> that's the episode. <laughs> and then... <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and we will see you next time. As always, CJ and the Duke covers a wide range of audience from admins to developers to product owners. If you want to reach out to that population, please check out the link below and we'll tell you how to sponsor us. As always, I'm your host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey CJ Wesley. Wesley.